Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello there. I'm talking about those early days of Christianity and the church, the book of Acts. It's like a technicolor movie of what the church could be like and should be like. And we're in chapter 13 now, and we're starting to get to the place where the purpose of the church, so today's talk is entitled Purpose, where the purpose of the church started to be the main thing. Up until chapter 13, people have been fulfilling the Great Commission to certain degrees, but it hasn't been the main focus. It's almost happened by mistake by a few people. But in chapter 13 of Acts, we read, Now the church, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there's this group of prophets and teachers uh, who are leading the church in Antioch. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord, and fasted. Now, what does that mean? They were probably worshiping, praying, fasting, uh, just having a prayer meeting together. The Holy Spirit said, how did he say? I don't think it was an audible voice. I'm almost certain that somebody said, I feel the Lord is saying, and somebody else said, yes, I agree. And somebody else said, yes, I agree. And between them, they said, we believe this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. What? They sent two of their main leaders away. Why would they do that? It doesn't make sense. From a worldly point of view, we want to gather, bring in. We don't want to lose people, especially two of our best leaders, two of our main leaders. But... The purpose of God comes first. If a church is not doing God's purpose, we may call ourselves a church, but it is debatable whether we really are a church. And all the benefits and power that the New Testament says come with being a church and in a church, all of those are wasted if we just call ourselves a church, but we're not doing what the church is supposed to be doing. So let me ask you, what is your purpose? What is your church's purpose? You say, what do you mean by purpose? I mean the thing you were designed to do, the task you were created to achieve, the thing that God wants you to do and will ask you about at the end of your life. When we get on judgment day before that great white throne, he will say, did you do the thing I asked you to do? What is your purpose? What is my purpose? You know what's so interesting is that the Holy Spirit said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Lord had already called them. The Lord had already told them what they were to do. This wasn't a new instruction for Barnabas and Saul. And we're going to see later in verse 47, Paul actually says what the purpose is. And he says, for this for so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. God had spoken to Paul many years earlier, 14 years at least earlier, and said, your job is to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, be salvation to the ends of the earth. It's a quote from an Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 49 verse 6. 
It also appears in Isaiah 42. Jesus said it at the end of his life. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. Uh, it's a repeating theme, and yet Paul knew what it was, but it was 14 years after God had given him the instruction that the church agrees. The church says, now is the time. The church lays hands on Paul and Barnabas, and they send them off. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And they went, when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. <clears throat> they went out sent by the Holy Spirit. My first couple of points, <laughs> I've got a lot of such beautiful uh, truth comes out of this passage that I, I have quite a few points today. But my first is that the Holy Spirit will speak to you personally before he speaks to somebody else for you. When somebody else says to you, the Lord wants you to do X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be, if they say, God is telling you to go and do this, to be this, to marry this person, whatever, the Lord has to have spoken to you first because prophecy is not, in the New Testament, is not to give personal direction to you from somebody else about something that you have never thought about or God has never spoken to you about. Prophecy is to confirm what God has already spoken. That's so important. The second point is that the church is involved, the, the body of believers. You know, when I'm with other people, I, I have a mirror in God's word. We're told several times in the Bible that God's word is a mirror to me of what is in me, what God is doing in me. But also God's people are a mirror because they can see what God is doing. They can affirm. You remember earlier we read about how Barnabas went around looking for evidence of the grace of God in people and in places. And that's what other Christians do. They look at each other and they say, what is God doing well? What is God using you for? How is God breathing in you and through you to bless other people? And they are a mirror. And so other Christians are hearing from the Lord and they are helping you to know what God is calling you to do. And also they are showing you where you might be going off track. You know, every one of us, because we still live in a sinful world with a sinful body and emotions, we can get guidance wrong. And we can think God is calling us to do something and it's just our own flesh telling us to do it or we've made something up. And so it's so helpful to have other people to pray with, to fast with, to get inspiration and help from. And the church helped them and they sent them off. And then they laid hands on them and it was the Holy Spirit's power that propelled Paul and Barnabas out to do the work that God had called them to do. So can I start by asking you, my dear friend, have you heard from the Lord about something that you think he wants you to do? You say, well, how do I know what that is? There are so many verses we could go through. Uh, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says that we present our, ourselves, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So I give myself to God. I say, Lord, whatever it is you want for me, that's what I want to do. We, we do that first. We present ourselves. We die to ourselves. We say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm wholly yours. Whatever you want, I will do. That's the first step to finding out God's will for your life. 
Then it says in verse 2, renew your minds, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as we study scripture, as we pray, our thinking is changed. Those, those cassette tapes of thoughts that were playing in our minds from childhood are changed and we start to hear the thoughts of God and think the way God thinks. And then at the end of that passage, it says, then you will be able to know or prove what God's will is, his good perfect and pleasing will. That is what God wants. He wants for you to present yourself as a sacrifice of obedience to him and say, Lord, I'm wholly yours. Then renew your mind. And we've seen here in the context of a body of believers. And as time goes on, we're able to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And then we do it. And people look and they say, wow, Look at Paul and Barnabas. They're doing God's will. That's amazing. They, they're just such great leaders, but they don't realize that there was a period of 14 years of preparation, of prayer, of Paul obeying in small ways what God was telling him to do, of him studying God's word. And that's why when he, in verse 47, says, this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles. He quotes a scripture because God's word had spoken to him as well as he'd had visions, he'd had all sorts of other ways of God speaking to him. And all of that accumulated into a place where the church said, go. I pray that you're in a church that is willing to let you go and to release you if God is calling you to do something else. You know, the church is never going to reach the whole world if we always want to gather in small groups and never want to let people go. And there are wrong ways to go. There are times where people say in rebellion, I'm just going to go and, and they just go off in anger. But there are good ways to go where you say, I feel the Lord is saying this. The church prays, they, they ministering to the Lord, they're thinking, they're fasting, they're praying and they're saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And then they gather together, they agree and they lay hands and they say, we're, we're praying you out. We're sending you out to do something great. Now, we at Leading Lights uh, have set up a network and a website to help people to go and do what God has called them to do. The disadvantage of what we're doing is we don't know everybody personally. And so we will rely on you wherever you are in the world to go to other Christians around you if you have them and say, is this what the Lord is saying and, and get some input and guidance. But if you feel the Lord is leading you to do something, and it may be something small or something huge, we want to help you. We want to empower you and equip you and release you to do great things for the Lord. We're not a denomination, so we won't ordain you. We won't uh, call you a reverend or anything like that, but we will pray for you. We will give you the equipment and the resources that you need, and we may visit you and help you as well. But we want the church today to be like the church in the book of Acts, where we're sending out our best and our brightest to reach the world. So how did it work out for Paul and Barnabas? We read on it after uh, verse 5, it says they had John as their assistant. Let me just stop there for a moment to say that it's not only a church a body and family that sends us out, we also go out in teams. If you can go with a, a small group of people, it's the best way to do it. Paul and Barnabas and John went out together. And Paul was like the spearhead of the, of the team. 
He was the main speaker. Um, but Barnabas and John had a role later on. We see it was Timothy, Silas, Titus. Uh, there were many others that helped Paul. He had a team of workers around him. And in Philippians, we see that a whole church was supporting him, sending him resources and money, praying for him, um, asking him how he was doing. So it's a team effort. At the end of Romans, at the end of Corinthians, Paul lists the names of the people who are his fellow workers and his friends in the ministry and who he is praying for their ministry. They are praying for his. It's a joint effort and we need each other. We are never going to do this on our own. You know, Jesus was the exact representation of God and he had all of God's attributes and gifts and power in one person. But now we are the body of Jesus, all of us together. And it's only when we're together that we represent Christ accurately to the world around us. And if you're going out on your own thinking you can be Christ to the world or to your community on your own, you're mistaken because you don't have all the gifts. You don't have all the attributes. Your character is not fully formed like Christ's yet. I don't really care who you are. None of us has reached perfection yet. And so we need each other to contribute different gifts, different perspectives, uh, to pray together because there's power in corporate prayer, to be able to watch over each other, strengthen each other, uh, lift up the arms when they're getting weary, just like Moses' arms were lifted up by Aaron and her when he was getting weary. We need each other and we all have different roles. Not everybody is the main speaker or public leader. Uh, not everybody can do organizing or prayer or caring or all the different gifts and ministries that are involved. And yet we must work together. So they had a team. Paul's pattern of ministry starts here, and it is virtually the same throughout the rest of the book of Acts. He would first go to the Jewish synagogue in a city, because just about every place he went, there was a community of Jews. Why did he go there? Because there was a common knowledge of the Old Testament. They already knew about a Messiah that had been promised, because they were already, some of them were seeking God, and there were God-fearing uh, Gentiles in those communities as well. It wasn't just Jews who went to the synagogue. Non-Jews would go seeking God as well. And so it was a place where people were already seeking God. If there wasn't a synagogue, like in Philippi, he would go to a place of prayer, like next to the river, and there he met Lydia and a few others. But he would go first to a place where he would get a welcome, where people were interested in God. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 and he says to them, look for a man of peace who will receive you into his home and stay there and eat the food that he gives you. And don't keep going around from house to house. Once you find some people of peace, stay with them. And that's what Paul did. He looked for a community of peace. There were miracles in every place that he went. Not every time is it mentioned, but it is inferred and sometimes it is clearly mentioned that he did miracles and in this passage we see him doing some amazing miracles there was opposition or persecution where the religious jews normally after he had had some success they would oppose him and cause a great opposition and persecution to come against him and then he would flee and go to the next city um, after he had preached to the gentiles sometimes he would withdraw from the religious 
Jewish synagogue and he would just be with the Gentiles for a while. And when the persecution got too strong, he would flee and go to the next city. But he always empowered those who he left behind to carry on the work. So let's look through this passage. In Acts chapter 13, there was a man called Elimus who was a sorcerer. And um, in verse 8, it says, But Elimus the sorcerer uh, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the truth. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. So there were miracles of healings and great wonders, but there was also a spiritual warfare element where sometimes miraculous power was released to stop something of the enemy that was trying to come against Paul. And so the miraculous was a great part of it. Deliverance, uh, dealing with, with uh, the enemy forces was a big part of what he did. They left that place. And then in verse 13, it says, Paul and his party set sail from Paphos. They came to Perga, Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. John left them. It was too difficult for him. And later on, Barnabas wanted to take John with them again. And Paul said, no, he, he's messed up in the past. We're not going to use him anymore. But later on in his life, Paul says, Mark, John Mark is very useful to me. So there was a reconciliation there. And the gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. So, so there is a reconciliation for mistakes made. Um, when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Um, then Paul preaches a sermon and his sermon to the Jews is always talking about the history of the Jews, the Old Testament scriptures, the promises of Jesus. Then he talks about Jesus, what he did, the miracles he did, how he died for sins, how he was risen again, and how witnesses saw him. And then he says, and forgiveness of sins is preached. That's his message and his method wherever he goes. And there was great success there. But in verse 45, it says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it, is, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. That's so interesting to me. Paul had only been in this place for a short time. And yet the word of God is spreading through all the region because Paul empowers others. He doesn't say, I'm the only one who can spread this message. I'm the only ordained reverend. He lets people do the ministry. He lets people, he encourages people to do their ministry. How wonderful. The Jews uh, stirred up opposition. Paul eventually had to leave. And he goes to various places. And in verse 8 of chapter 14, it says, In Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. 
Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. So there was this great miracle and a great breakthrough. But it was Paul's preaching that was the first thing. He was speaking and this lame man was listening to the preaching and then he was healed. Um, so miracles wasn't, weren't the only things that Paul did. He preached first and foremost. And the people were so amazed by this miracle. Let me just, I'm going to read you a little story now to show you the power of other people's words and opinions about you. You know, you can say, I'm great. And some people will believe you. You can say, I'm not great. I'm just a human. Don't worship me. And people will believe you to a certain degree. But when another person, a third party, an independent person says either you're great or you're not great, it changes people's opinions so much more. And I want to challenge you and myself. We shouldn't be blowing our own trumpets too much. And we shouldn't be worried too much about, about public relations for ourselves. But we should be thinking about what we say about other Christians and other people, because our words about others have a huge impact. Listen to this story. When the people saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in, in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also, we also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and earth. And then he preaches another sermon and he's trying to convince them that he's not a God, that there's only one God to be worshipped. And at the end of that passage, it says, And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Paul is trying so hard to convince them that he's just a human, but they would not listen. Because when we speak about ourselves, it doesn't have much impact. But the very next verse, so Paul has tried his hardest to say, we're just humans. But the people want to call him a god. They want to sacrifice to him. They want to worship him. Verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. What? Can you see the change in attitude that happened? Because somebody else said, this man Paul is speaking untruth. When somebody criticizes somebody else, especially with a crowd who are not discerning and who are not spiritual and who are not wise, they will listen to somebody else's opinion and their own opinion can be changed so quickly. From one minute saying, you're a God, we're going to love you and worship you. The next minute they're throwing stones to kill him. Our words have impact. And I want to just challenge you. Are you criticizing other Christians? Are you criticizing other people? Maybe even prime ministers and presidents and leaders. Your words have impact. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 6, it says revilers will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And a reviler is a person who speaks evil of other people. Very, very interesting. So the, the crowd suddenly turned against Paul and Barnabas. They threw stones at Paul. They left him for dead. 
Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. The disciples gathered around him and he was left for dead, but suddenly he stands up and walks into the city. That's miraculous. That was a miraculous healing or he was raised from the dead. One of, one of those two happened. And, and it was because the disciples gathered around and prayed for him. Verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord whom they had believed. And then they passed through various regions um, they came back to Antioch where they had been originally sent out from. Verse 26, they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. They'd finished their task. They gathered together. But isn't it interesting? It starts with a church sending them out. They come back to a church and report back and they have fellowship together. And all of their journeys and all of the miracles and preaching, they establish churches, they appoint elders, and those people are empowered to spread the word. Friend, our purpose, the purpose of Christians and the purpose of the church is the Great Commission. We have many roles within that. Some will work in secular office jobs or secular jobs, earn money, witness to their workmates, give money to the kingdom of God, and that will be the best way that they achieve the Great Commission. Others will be spearhead points like Paul and Barnabas and John, but we all have a role to play. What is your purpose? When you find your purpose from God and you line it up with His Great Commission purpose through Scripture, through other Christians, you will be fulfilled and you will see great results. I'm praying for you that you are in a church or you start a church or you get into a church where the Great Commission is their mission and where we will see the ends of the earth reached for Christ. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.